So we're continuing in our series, series, which is called Grow Up. And we're going through the book of First Corinthians. And today I've been given the verses, well, chapter 6, verses 1 to 8 as we start there. Um, quite a difficult chapter, challenging, well, difficult verses, challenging verses, and I think today it's going to challenge us all. It challenged me, and um, I think it will challenge you. Um, all I can do is deal with the text that is in front of me and break it down to the best of our ability with what God has provided. So if there's things that you hear today that you think, wow, listen, mate, <laughs> you need to cool, you need to calm down. It's the text. It's there. I have to deal with it. And hopefully, by God's grace, that will happen. So the title of today's message is called Airing Your Dirty Laundry. Airing Your Dirty Laundry. And like I said, we're going to be looking at uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 1 to 8. So just by way of introduction, let me start here. So imagine you're watching daytime TV. You're watching the programs. And you're flicking through the channels. And you come across the Jeremy Kyle show. And to your amazement, two Christians walk out into the studio. One has a grievance against another. They're on national TV, airing their differences, their dirty laundry. What would your thoughts be? Hmm. So just by way of background into today's text, um, in order for us to understand what's going on in these passages, it's helped for us, for us to know how normal it was to be involved in the legal system in Corinth. Law courts were, in fact, the primary, primary time of amusement. So uh, their, one of their amusements was the law courts. It was better than going to the movies. It was reality TV in high definition. You see, there's entertainment value in court cases. In our day, we think of Bill Cosby and Harvey Weinstein. Real cases with real people. We have court battles over the rights to houses. I want to sell. I want to keep. I didn't receive my share. Even mainstream court reporting distorts the line between news and juicy details. Newspapers, TV and radio love to report the scandalous bits that come out from proceedings. Our society isn't much different from ancient Greece. You see, the Greeks love litigation. In that culture, everyone was more or less a lawyer and spent most of their times listening or deciding law cases. If a matter couldn't be settled between two people, 
it would end up before a jury of 700, maybe 3,000. And at times, 6,000 people would try a case. The Greeks loved it. Nearly everyone was an amateur lawyer. Everybody in the community would get in on your business. You see, this public spectacle promoted the mindset of settling, our dis of settling their disagreements in court. Corinth was a city of philosophical and intellectual arrogance. It was a city known for its unbridled sin. And it was from this culture that the people of Corinth, of Corinth had been saved. Yet, the church in Corinth was definitely reflecting the Greek culture. They were competitive, assertive, and arrogant. So with that in mind, let's pray and get into today's message. Lord, we give you thanks for this day, Lord. Thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that it can still go out even during COVID-19, Lord. Thank you for technology and all the things you've given us to be able to do that, Lord. YouTube, Zoom, you know, the church can keep going, Lord. We thank you for that, Lord. And I pray for today's message, Lord. Pray that you would help me here today, Lord. Pray that you would open our hearts, our minds, our ears to what you have to say, Lord, that we would take it to heart, that it would speak to us collectively and individually, Lord. We thank you for your love and your kindness, your goodness and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, we're looking at, as I said, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're going to look at verses 1 to 8. I think it's going to be up on the screen. Okay, verse 1. When one of you have a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more, how much more then matters pertaining to this life? So if you have... So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before, before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a court or a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. To have a lawsuit at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong why not, why not rather be defrauded, but you yourselves wrong and defraud even your brothers? It would seem by Paul's rebuke here that the church in Corinth had issues. They had drama. Do you know why churches have drama in them? Because there are people in them. Before I continue, let me put this out there. Paul is not against lawsuits. To be very clear, the Bible does not say that a Christian can never go to court. In fact, Paul appealed more than once to the legal system, exercising his right to defend himself under Roman law. 
In Romans 13, Paul taught that God established legal authorities for the purpose of upholding justice, punishing wrongdoing, and protecting the innocent. In Acts 13, Galileo defended Paul's right to preach. Ultimately, we can thank God for lawyers, courts, the judicial system that attempts to provide justice. So, let's look at verse 1. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Note, keep it in mind here that Paul is talking about matters that are insignificant. He's not talking about major crimes like murder or manslaughter. He's not talking about assaults or burglary, but petty little squabbles. I looked up the meaning of grievances, and here's what I found. A wrong, unfairness, a complaint, criticism, objection, a grumble, moan, quibble, grudge, bad feeling, resentment, bitterness, a gripe, niggle, and beef. Do you know how Paul phrases this in this verse, verse 1? He says, how dare you? How dare you air your dirty laundry before the unrighteous instead of fellow believers before saints? The word unrighteous simply means someone that doesn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They are not Christians. Why would you ask someone for guidance when they don't know Christ and expect to receive spiritual advice? Question. When you have a church issue, what is your first point of call? Do you take it before your unbelieving friends, family, co-workers? Remember, they're of the world. They have not been renewed in their minds. They've not been washed or transformed. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. Foolishness, it says here. (laughs) And he is unable to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You see, the answers, the advice, the direction you will receive will be from an unbiblical worldview. You say, what do you mean? Well, here's some hypothetical conversations. The Christian. I'm thinking of asking that person to marry me. What response would you expect to get? Unbeliever. Why get married? It's too expensive. Just live together. Marriage is old-fashioned anyway. Believer. I want to date that man. But I don't think he's a Christian. What do you think? Unbeliever. If you like him, if you think he's hot, what's the problem? 2 Corinthians 2, 2, 6, 14. 
Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What has righteousness to do with lawlessness? Or, or what, has, what fellowship has light with darkness? Believer, I'm thinking of moving in with my man. But there's a problem. We're not married. Unbeliever. Problem? We're not living in medieval times. After a few months of unrighteous living, the relationship starts to go wrong. Here comes your friend. Who remembers that song by Michael Jackson? You've probably got to be my age to, to remember it. And, and maybe some of the elders age and some others. But you youngsters are maybe not going to know it. So, Janet Jackson's song. Remember the Janet Jackson song? It used to start like this. Two girls are having this conversation. And one says to the other, I know he used to do nice stuff for you. But what has he done for you lately? <laughs> Relationship mashup. Now, don't get me wrong. We're not talking about monkism. Christians are not monk. We don't sit in places and, and, and do nothing and just flatulate ourselves all day long and just... No, we're not. You know what? If we want to have a couple of beers, it's fine. But the Bible tells us not to get drunk. Ephesians, this is not going to come up, Ephesians 5.18. And I like, I looked at the contemporary English version of this. It says, do not destroy yourself by getting drunk, but let the Spirit fill your life. Now, if you want to date someone, that's fine, providing your intentions towards them are correct. But it's not advisable to live together because that will lead to temptation. That may lead to a more intimate relationship. Now, when you're married, hey, knock yourself out. Pastor Rob used to say, you can swing from the chandeliers. Man can dress up in his gladiator outfit. Sister can dress up as Juliet Bravo. <laughs> <laughs> Where does this stuff come from? I miss my preaching. Street preaching, that is. Not pulpit. <laughs> now, have you had them times when you've been in a conversation with a, an unbeliever about a spiritual matter, only to come away with that sense of our worldviews are just so far apart? You know what? It's because they are. Now, don't get it twisted. Paul is not saying that we shouldn't have spiritual conversations with unbelievers. We need to talk to them about spiritual matters, like receiving eternal life. What he's actually saying is, don't lay out your church grievances before them. Don't be a Jeremy Carr or a Judge Judy participant. Don't air your dirty laundry before them. Let's look at verses 2 and 3 of 1 Corinthians 6. Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more 
than matters pertaining to this life. Saints will judge the world and angels. What's that all about, Paul? Well, let me see if I can clarify that. When Paul talks about believers judging the world, he's not talking about the final judgment of those who have not accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. No, that's the great white throne judgment. You can see that in Revelations 20 for, for those that you want to research that. He's not saying that we're going to be sitting on thrones saying, Oi, you, into the lake of fire you go. That's not the judgment we're going to be involved in. Paul is probably referring to the millennial kingdom, the thousand years reign of Jesus Christ, where Jesus will, will, will judge the world for a period where the saints will be involved. What that judgment looks like, the Bible's not clear. As for judging angels, well, 2 Peter 2.4 For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. In some way, Christians may be part of that judgment. So where did Paul get this from? Has he got some future revelation? Well, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God. So we can think about where he actually got that from. So what's, point, what is, what's Paul's point in mentioning this? You see, God has this unbelievable future responsibility waiting for us as judges of the world. But there's a problem in Corinth. They are failing the test miserably. His purpose here is not to give us a picture of the future, but to point out a disturbing inconsistency between their glorious destiny and how they were handling their small disputes. Sarcastically, he asks, are you not competent for matters pertaining to this life? They might be serious in the frame of this world, but in view of our, uh, our eternal destiny, they're trivial. You see, we argue with our spouses over trivial matters. We fall out with each other over petty things. You know, there were some wonderful brothers and sisters that were part of this church that are no longer here. Listen to the words of Jesus. John 13, 34 to 35. And we all know this verse. It's just we just don't take a notice of it. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Notice Jesus said this is a commandment. It's non-negotiable. 
Are we loving each other when we're backbiting each other? If we're falling out over trivial matters? You know, just hearing about the death of Fiona should bring this stuff into perspective. What are we arguing about? What are we grumbling about? You see, if if we're not outwardly loving one another, can we honestly make the claim that we are disciples of Christ? He says, by this way, they will know you are my disciples. Just a question. Okay, let's look at verses 4 and 5. So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a a dispute between brothers? You see, the Corinthians were acting like worldly people rather than redeemed people. Now, if little Johnny snatches Barbie and Ken from his sister, causing a commotion in the home, would you chase your kids out in the street, into the street and confront them in front of all your neighbours? Of course not. You'd get your kids together and resolve the problem in-house. To live and act worldly is to show those around us that there is no difference between the church and the world. And that Christians don't treat each other any differently to the world. When the saints at Corinth were taking each other to court in the public arena, those outside the church would have no doubt be saying, if this is Christianity, I don't want nothing to do with it. Paul says, I say this to your shame. The reputation and the image of the church was being damaged. If the family of God couldn't get along, evidently Christ wasn't making much of a difference in their lives. If the family of God couldn't get along, evidently Christ wasn't making much of a difference in their lives. Now that's not a slip, I repeated that. It's just something for us to ponder on for a minute. I remember back in primary school, there was a kid called John John. John John loved football. When it came to football, John John looked apart. John John had the full kit. John John had the boots. He acted like a footballer on the pitch. Now, I have to use John John as an example because I never had no kit. I just had a pair of shorts and something all thrown together, but he had the kit. But when it came to football, he wasn't the best, bless him. He looked apart. (laughs) His actions didn't match up to what he perceived to be. 
Remember, the Corinthian church was known for boasting about their wisdom. They were quick to judge their preachers. And this comes up all the time. I think all of us have used it in our sermons. Remember back in chapter 1, I follow Paul, I follow Apostle, I follow Cephas, I follow Christ. Yet they were unable to resolve their differences. They claimed to be so wise, yet they were not wise enough to settle petty, trivial disputes. Paul saying that even the most immature, uneducated, poorest believer was more spiritually discerned to speak truth into a dispute than the most trained mediator, lawyer, judge that the circular courts could provide. Here Paul prods at them where it hurts, their pride. He's saying to these Christians, guys, you were washed, you were cleansed, your sins have been forgiven. You've clothed yourself in Jesus Christ. You've pledged a good conscience and sorry, you've pledged a good conscience towards God through baptism. Now act like it. Again, Paul is, is being sarcastic. Guys, you have been sanctified, you have been changed, you have been set apart. You are supposed to be different from the rest of the world. Now act like it. Jesus went to the cross so that you could be redeemed, so that you could be justified, so that you can be saved. Now act like it, Corinthians, Christians. Dare I say it, Ecclesia. Let's look at verse 6. But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. The Corinthians had been saved out of Greek paganism, but they were still acting like pagans. There, were, there was a refusal on their part to let the gospel change their lives, their actions, their choices to let it influence the way they live their lives. What kind, of a witness were those, what kind of a witness were they to those outside the church? They were called to be different. We are called to be different. You see, rather than live gospel-centered lives, the gospel had become a, an add-on a byproduct of what it means to be a Christian. Many Christians today many Christians today have circular have taken circular values as their own. This is what the Corinthians were guilty of doing of doing. You see the gospel hadn't changed them. In many ways, they were still acting in the same way prior to their conversion. It would have caused the Greeks to think, what's the difference between them and us? What's the difference between Christianity and paganism? Between light and darkness? Between godliness and worldliness? What's the difference? 
Likewise, what kind of picture are we painting to those around us? Because we're saying, I go to church. You know that sometimes the Lord will have them call us out? I thought you was a Christian. Which is a sign to say you're not acting like one. So what happens when Christians go to law against one another in front of the unbelieving world? When Christianity takes their trivial, petty issues before unbelieving co-workers, friends, family. Christianity ends up on trial. And the believer becomes the judge and the jury over the Christian worldview. Remember, what most unbelievers know about Christianity is not based on, on, on dialogue with, with Christians, but on what they've read in newspapers, what they've seen on social media, in education, what they see in the news and on the internet. If we add to that what they already believe about Christianity, telling them about our trivial or petty disputes, how we have a conflict with this person and that person will make it hard for us to share the gospel with them. Because all we've done is confirm their misconceptions that they already had sown in their minds through the media, through the internet, through education. How many Christians have gone to university and come back as atheists or unbelievers? Because the unis just dragged that stuff out of them. You see, the world will see us as not being able to sort out our own internal affairs or handle our own disputes. And that we have a problem loving one another. It sends a message to the world that there are cheats in the church. church. Those who wrong even their own brothers and sisters. That the church is full of hypocrites. And that's why it will be hard to share the gospel with them. You see, we, we should be trying to win the unbelievers to Christ, not drive them away. You see, most of the unbelieving world already, has already decided that this is the 21st century and the Bible is not to be believed and certainly not to be applied to one's life. It may even have the opposite effect. Instead of, why should I become a Christian? It can become, I can become a Christian without having to change my lifestyle. How about that? Or I can continue living the way I am because now I've got this free ticket to heaven. I've got the get out of hell free card. Isn't that a picture of the modern day gospel? Just repeat this prayer after me and you're eternally secure. Really? There's another potential problem here. 
As Christians, we can act as though we have no problems, no trials, no struggles in this life. But that will make becoming a Christian look very difficult to the average person that has struggles. Are we to pretend that as Christians we don't have struggles at times? Are we to pretend that we're stush and that we're, we're, we're cruising on the love boat of life, that we're sinless? You see, that will, be, that will also be a burden around the neck of the unbeliever who is approaching the throne room of grace. Their thinking will become, well, I need to clean up my acts before I can become a Christian. Rather than becoming a Christian and that the process of sanctification will change them. We need to be real, not fake. People aren't stupid. Let's look at verses 7 and 8. We're going to get a bit juicy now. going to cause some trouble. Trouble in the pub here. So, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers, brethren, brothers, sisters. Paul says, why not suffer wrong? Suffer wrong? Are you kidding me, Paul? You see, pride won't let us suffer wrong. Oh, no. I want to win. Loser? Pride says, uh-uh. No way. You're violating my rights. This is a cry we hear from so many people over, over what many of us would see as trivial matters. Remember when you was at school, how many, fight took, how many fights took place between two culprits that didn't even want to fight each other, but because of pride and image preservation, one of them would end up getting a beating. So, let's look at some practical advice for dealing with personal conflict within the church and see what Jesus has to say on the matter. Not me, Jesus. Matthew 15. We're going we're gonna to look at 15 to 17, but we're going to do one verse at a time. One verse at a time. So, Verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go to him. Go, sorry, go and tell him his faults between you and him alone. Yes, it's up there. Alone. If he listens, you have gained your brother. Step number one. You talk to that person who has offended you it says, go to them privately, alone. Don't go all guns blazing, but in a spirit of, of, of humility and gentleness with the intention of trying to work it out. You see, they might not even realise that they've actually offended you. Notice, 
the goal of that action is to gain your brother or your sister. Now, if someone comes to you with a grievance, you also don't go all stiff up and vex and how dare they come and chat to me about, hmm. No. You too have a, a spirit of humility and gentleness. It takes two of you. Because if one's stush and one's humble and, 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 and gentle, it ain't going to work. It needs both of you. Verse 16. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Notice, this comes after step one. Do you know why we go with one or two witnesses? We go to them for wisdom. We go to them for counsel. We go to them for prayer. Do you know the other reason why? Watch this. And here's something we probably didn't think of. <laughs> you might be wrong. <laughs> you could be wrong. You may say, a true friend will never tell me I'm wrong. They're not a true friend. A true friend will tell you when you're wrong. Or if, sorry, if you're wrong. Now, this verse is not saying, let's grab a bunch of people. We're going to go up there. We're going we're gonna to confront them. We're going we're gonna to hold them up. We're going to gather around them. We're going we're gonna to tear out their hair. We're going to, yeah. No. No. It's so that you can establish that you've tried to deal with the problem in a loving and humble way. Keep looking over there. I don't know why. I should be looking there. That you've tried to deal with it in a loving and humble way. Now, if he or she refuses, verse 17, thank you, Sam. If he or, if he or she refuses to listen, then tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. You see, step three, if it doesn't work, Jesus says, take the matter to the church. How many times have these steps been ignored? You say, what do you mean? As soon as someone has an offense, all the steps go out the window. Woof! Where they gone? Pastor's phone starts ringing. The question you will or should receive back is, have you spoken that to that person privately in humility and gentleness? Most of the time, the answer will be no. Keep looking over there. Most of the time, the answer will be no. Why is that? Proverbs 29, 25a. Don't, don't put it up, Sam, because I've got a translation from somewhere that I can't remember where I got it from. The fear of man lays a snare. You see? Because of fear. 
It keeps people from being biblically, bi sorry, from being biblical. That fear of retaliation, the fear of rejection, the fear of that person not, not liking me anymore. Fear. But these are the biblical steps in restoring someone. Some may say, well, I just can't get over what they did to me. Well, Matthew 18, 21 and 22. Peter, here comes Peter. Then Peter come up and said to him, Lord, how many times will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now Peter thinks he's being generous with his seven times. <laughs> and he didn't expect this answer. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven, 490. <laughs> Didn't know I was good at maths, did you? Now, I know you know them verses, but they're them kind of verses that go in our ear and they go flying out the other and we don't actually meditate on them and chew them over and think about them. We just say, you know, I ain't applying that, bun that. That's a load of rubbish. Listen. All of God's word. We can't just pick out the bits we like. It's not like the soup when you go to a restaurant and you just want jelly, ice cream and, and cake and you don't want to eat no dinner. You have to pick out the hard bits. We have to eat the, the vegetables and the, the mushrooms and the things that people don't like. We have to have, deal with the whole text. And that's what we do when we go out preaching. We just don't go out there and say, oh, God loves you. And yeah, we go out there all day and do that, man. We've got to preach the whole council. And we've got to take in the whole counsel of God, not just take out the bits we like. So, continuing. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. And this is another verse that we listen to. We go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. And then we don't apply it. And we don't meditate on it or think about the meaning of it. So Matthew 6, 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So, as we draw to a close, what should our attitude be towards one another as brothers and sisters? Here's a bit of application. And this is just a wonderful piece of scripture. 1 Peter 3, 8 to 12. Finally, Finally, whew, finally, all of you have un unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. 
For whoever, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Like Pastor Rob was talking about running from sin, fleeing. This is the opposite. Pursue it. Not sin. <laughs> but pursue peace. Pursue peace. Seek it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord's face... Sorry, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. What does Jesus have to say about division in the church? Matthew 12, 25. This is the outworkings of all this stuff I've been talking about. Now, knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And no city or house divided against itself will stand. Something to meditate on. Finally, finally, finally. Spoke a lot about courtrooms today. If you're here listening today and you have not submitted your life to Christ... Because of sin, one day you will stand in God's courtroom for sentencing. But the good news is that God can legally dismiss your case. You can walk out of God's courtroom a free person because of the suffering, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But there's two things you must do to be saved. You must repent and trust in the Saviour. The Bible says that the minute you do that, God will forgive your sins. He will remove your death sentence and he will grant you eternal life as a free gift. 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John 6.37, Jesus said, Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, you gave us a lot to chew on, a lot to digest, a lot of stuff that we know but we kind of cast them to the back of our minds and pretend they don't really exist. Your word is truth, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for just guiding our hearts today, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that it's your word and not my word, Lord. It's your scriptures, not mine. I didn't make them up. Lord, help us to love one another, to uphold one another, to forgive one another, Maybe some of us have some disputes that we need to settle today in humbleness and humility, in gentleness, not in anger, 
not in hate. You know, it's not the, 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 the bits of the Bible that I don't understand that trouble me. It's the bits I do understand. Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, cast out demons and do all these wonderful acts in your name? Only to hear, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Not that I used to know you and I don't know you no more. I never knew you. So Lord, help us to humble ourselves and to show each other love, respect and kindness. Thank you for these things, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.